This is the official Sasta podcast with your host Harry Stebbings at H Stebbings on Snapchat. That's H Stebbings with two B's. And brought to you by the godfather of Sass, Jason Lampkin at Jason LK on Twitter. Now, despite speaking to many on Snapchat and Twitter, we want to get to know you in person and bond over the majestic smell of mint from the freshly made mojitos. So to join me and Jason with many mojitos at Sasta Annual 2017, simply enter the promo code Drinks with Harry, those three words, Drinks with Harry, when you purchase your Sasta Annual 2017 tickets. And not only will you get a whopping 20% off the ticket price, but you'll also get a free happy hour of mojitos thanks to the kind bank of Mr. Jason Lampkin. Wow, I know which element of that deal is more attractive. However, to the show's date, and I'm thrilled to welcome David Thompson. Now, David is CMO at Domo, the company that allows customers to turn data into opportunities. And David is a highly accomplished branding expert and recognised leader in demand generation, having served as longtime CMO of WebEx, where he named the company, helped create the cloud-based conferencing category, and positioned the company for its IPO and subsequent buyout by Cisco. He also co-founded and served as chief executive officer of Genius.com, a leading SaaS marketing automation company, and he launched the Sales 2.0 conference. However, without further ado, I'm now delighted to hand over to David Thompson, CMO at Domo. Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. David, so wicked to have you on the show today. A huge thanks to Jason Lemkin for the intro, but thank you so much for joining me today, David. Awesome to be here, Harry. Thank you. Now, I'd love to get started today with a two to three minute story of how you really made your way into the wonderful world of SaaS, as I call it. <laughs> yeah, boy, uh, I, Harry, kind of been around the block on SaaS. Uh, you know, I was employee number 15 uh, at a company that was then called Active Touch, which I rebranded as WebEx. And, you know, we started out as an enterprise software company. And, you know, right upstairs from us was uh, Hotmail and a bunch of other hot internet companies. And we thought, you know, this enterprise software thing really kind of sucks. Like, we should go on the internet, circa 1998. And and, and so we did. Uh, We completely repivoted the business and and launched as WebEx uh, back in in 1999. And, you know, the the rest, they say, is history. We went public in 2000 on trailing revenues of $2.5 million, if you can believe it. Flirted with bankruptcy during the recession. At the end of 2000, uh, and then totally came back like gangbusters for you know for the next uh, several years until we were ultimately uh, bought out by Cisco. And so that was uh, really just uh, an incredible act of creation and innovation and, and craziness all at the same time. So I have to ask then, with that kind of incredibly tumultuous ride right through to the brilliant exit by Cisco, uh, what was a really big takeaway and learning curve for you, having seen, as you said, the IPO? the terrible moments where it didn't look so rosy. What were the big takeaways? Yeah, well, you know, the the thing is, is it's so easy now that like everyone and their brother does web conferencing and the competitors have just gone crazy and we just take it for granted. And, you know, here we are on Skype doing this podcast and and, and it's just a daily part of business. But at at the time, people didn't know what web conferencing was and uh, they certainly hadn't done it. And so, you know, when I said we flirted with bankruptcy, you know, one of the things that happened was, is, you know, there was a big recession and the adoption curve of web conferencing was really early and was not yet viewed as an essential, like a must have. And so what we had to do, you know, our biggest job in in marketing and customer service and support uh, was to educate people about how to have online meetings. Believe it or not, they didn't know, right? I mean, I know this is crazy to say that, but that was the reality circa 2000, 2001, 
that it was not a knee-jerk reaction to just, you know, fire up WebEx or, 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 or fire up, you know, uh, any other form of online meeting. It just wasn't at people's fingertips. So it's that education, that uh, adoption curve that every SaaS company that has to go through. And, and it seemed weird to us at the time because we were already in this vision of like everyone and their mother is going to have a web conference, but that was not the reality in the market. And and you you're speaking of your time at WebEx, say you really built one of the first SaaS brands with WebEx. Uh, so I, th- I think I'd love to start with kind of the importance of what what really is SaaS branding, and is SaaS branding more consumer branding, or is it kind of enterprise B two B branding? The reality is, Harry, from my experience and, and my point of view, is it's both. You can't view it as one thing or the other. And and the reality is, we we tend to get caught up in the SaaS space and all of these sexy thought leadership messages about, oh, you know, it's the consumerization of the enterprise and all you have to do is focus on the user and everything will be brilliant and it will just virally spread all over the planet and you'll be rich before you know it. And it's like, uh, no. (laughs) Now, it does work that way to a certain extent, for sure. Your product does have to be virally spreadable somehow. Um, you know, uh, Echo Sign was a great example of that. You know, here, sign this document online, or WebEx was another great example. Here, have this meeting with me. And it was through that interaction that knowledge of, of the solution would spread. It, it certainly isn't enough to lay the groundwork for explosive growth. You still have to, you know, do the yeoman's work of, you know, working with the analysts and making sure the IT are comfortable, IT people are comfortable and that there are actually budgets set aside for this type of thing. And so you have to work both sides of the aisle, if you will. You've got to make sure your product, you know, sings brilliantly to the user, but at the same time is a recognized line item in the budget, uh, acceptable to IT. And just as importantly, in the case of something like WebEx, that the category is understood. That was a a big thing that uh, a lot of early innovators in in the SaaS space from Salesforce and WebEx on down had to deal with was was getting the category firmly uh, ensconced in people's heads. In terms of kind of um, the educational onboarding for new customers, is that a content marketing role then? Or how would you look to position that in terms of with WebEx? What was your solution? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, content marketing is obviously critical because the more your awareness gets to painting a picture in a prospect's head of like, what is this thing? What do I do with it? And more importantly, why should I care? And what benefit will me personally and my business derive from that? Content marketing is absolutely huge from that, from thought leadership to, to social to, you know, live events, you know, whatever your your audience responds to. It's absolutely essential to to paint that picture. But I would also say it's, it's, it's not sufficient, but it certainly helps accelerate the sales cycle. If a, a sales rep winds up on the phone with someone who already knows what a web conference is or already knows what a data optimization and BI uh, platform is, as uh, is the case with Domo here, where I'm currently employed. Would you say that that's the biggest effect of kind of the rise of data being the increased intelligence of potential customers pre-signing up because they've got all the knowledge because they've been on Google, they've spoken to other customers, they've, they've done this, they've done that because of everything that internet and data allows us. Is that it, kind of pre-warmed leads? Well, yeah, no, I I mean, it's really interesting, Harry. The rise of data as a result of SaaS is basically a terrible crisis because you have all these SaaS solutions like Salesforce, like Adobe Analytics, like NetSuite, on and on and on, all 
helping individual users and groups within enterprises succeed at their task, but you wind up with the data in silos. And the fact that the business people have generated that data, for sometimes with, you know, sometimes only with slight blessing from the IT people, makes it even more complicated because the, the cloud is about empowerment. The cloud is about self-service. The cloud is about enabling users to take their fate in their own hand and drive sales or drive marketing or drive finance, whatever their, their function is. And the problem is the data winds up in these different clouds of silos and customers need to deal with that and they need to figure out like, how do I reunify my data view to figure out cash flow or figure out marketing ROI uh, or, or, or figure out some strategic opportunity in my business? And that is not easy. That is a, a big effort, first of all. What we find with a lot of customers is before they can even bite off the data issue, they have to ask themselves, you know, what problem am I trying to solve? And what metrics do I need to follow uh, in order to know whether I'm solving that problem? And where do I get that data from? And for most business people, that is a relatively new endeavor, right? That's something that they kind of like outsourced to IT before or outsourced to the data scientists. And more and more, that question of data driving your business is, is becoming part of the business users and the business leaders task, not just uh, IT. And kind of in terms of building that data perspective and kind of what questions to ask first, in terms of going back to building the SaaS brand itself, what are the significant kind of gating factors that, that you think founders and execs should consider before engaging in a big marketing spend? Yeah, well, I, I think it's this question of what problem do you solve? What value do you give to your customers? And do you have proof points? Or, or you know, a lot of people refer to this as product market fit, and you're you're already marching up the adoption curve. Because without customer testimonials, without hardcore ROI examples of how your customers are uh, adopting your SaaS solution and how they're driving their business with that SaaS solution, it becomes really dubious whether you would go big with a brand story until you know that the leads that are eventually uh, generated by that brand uh, are, are going to be uh, good leads, are going to be uh, closable leads. And so I think that's the, the balancing act um, that marketers have to really bear in mind as they take a new uh, SaaS offering to market. You said there about custom, uh, customer testimonials. I'm, I'm really intrigued. We've had guests before say that some say that it's all about the big brand names, you know, your Dropbox, your Box, your Zendesk using the product. And others say, don't worry about the big names. It's all about just getting as many logos as you can and instilling that confidence that the sales team can actually churn out deals. What side do you sit on? I just think it depends on your business. It depends on who you're targeting as customers. I mean, there's there's no doubt that enterprise customers crave company. They don't necessarily, not all large enterprises, certainly the, the, the biggest of enterprises, don't want to be the first guy to s stick their toe in the water when it comes to a new uh, SaaS solution. So it becomes a bit of a, of a chicken or egg problem for um, the sales team and the, and the marketing team to find those initial uh, customers and find those initial adopters, find the, the early adopters, the visionary customers, in the larger enterprises, so you can get those logos on the table. But without a doubt, if, if you're going after you know a global 2000, Fortune 500 type of audience, you, you, you need to have that credibility for sure. If you're a small to medium-sized targeted uh, customer, you, you don't necessarily need that. But even then, 
then smaller guys will look at bigger guys and say, hey, if it's good enough for GE or if it's good enough for Target or whatever the case may be, it could be good enough for me. And you said that kind of going back to the branding element about the questions to ask in terms of what you provide, what value, and then the customer testimonial. How should then startups look to measure the success of such branding efforts? Is it purely a kind of conversion metrics element or is there a reputational improvement that should be recognized too? You definitely want to look at all sides of the equation there. I mean, obviously, to scale the business, uh, you need to go as far down funnel uh, as as your data will allow you to to understand what's converting uh, and what's not converting, but but going way above the funnel and understanding what social media activity, you know, what kind of reputational uh, interactions are happening online about your brand. If it's gotten to that level, that's certainly advisable and and desirable. Uh, but but I wouldn't say is a necessary element in beginning to scale brand because it is totally something that is individual. To to each business and and something that you can arrive at uh, according to your customer. You said there about social, and I'm I'm really intrigued. How have you seen the transition from SEO to SEM in particular? Oh gosh, I mean they're they're so organically linked that it, it almost for me it almost blurs together. Um, the the content that you need in order to be organically optimized versus you know the messages and the CTAs that you're trying to drive through SEM. If you don't have that kind of perfectly aligned and perfectly intertwined uh, in in your marketing strategy, you're just you know totally uh, missing out. I mean it's still, it still it still just drives me crazy actually, and also amazes me how important SEM is at the brand level because the minute you have any kind of a brand, your competitors are bidding against your keywords and you have to defend your position and blah, blah, blah. But it's it's without a doubt, you know, one of the most uh, important anchors of any digital marketing uh, foundation that you've got today. In terms of the digital marketing foundation, what, what are your thoughts on, particularly for SaaS companies, uh, the must-haves in, in branding compared to the nice-to-haves and how do you differentiate between the two. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, you, you go to conversions, you go to your funnel, and, and you look at, you know, the successful form fills versus the not successful form fills, and, and where are those form fills coming from? You know, I think it is really vital to take an extremely hardcore data-driven look at that. For example, here at, at Domo, you know, we, we have a very rich mix of both more consumery channels, such as Facebook, and more businessy channels uh, such as LinkedIn that that both provide very good leads to us in at various stagements of the engagement. And, and the reason I say it's so important to be data driven is that there might be a meme out there that oh you know business people don't use Facebook or business people wouldn't respond to a, a data. Uh, intelligence, a data analytics ad in Facebook. And the reality is they're totally wrong. That meme is totally wrong. You know, Facebook is the new television. Everyone watches television. Everyone uses Facebook. You know, if you're not targeting a business user where they live, regardless of the context, then you're missing a huge opportunity. But I'd, I'd love to dive into a quick fire with you now. Uh, we call it 60 Second Sasta. So it's a short statement and you give me your immediate thoughts. How does that sound? 
You got it. Let's do it, Gary. Let's do it. So what do you know now that you wish you'd known? Let's say when you started WebEx, when you were a, a young and fresh SaaS lover. How to determine product to market fit and, how, and how to get that equation right. How do you determine that now? Through uh, focus groups, through uh, user experience research and feedback, through uh, surveys, you know, that we, we just did all of that kind of stuff manually uh, and without any uh, structure or deliberation or measurement uh, in the old days. And I, I think you just can't get away with that now, given the, the level of maturity in the marketplace, the user sophistication and the competition. Do you think there's a potential to slightly excuse your younger self in terms of it's much easier to iterate and gain user feedback and testing with today's technology? A hundred percent. You know, in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, that was, uh, you know, all, you know, mechanical Turk didn't exist. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so uh, it, it was really, really hard to, 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 to do that type of thing or to even have a, a WebEx like experience that would allow you to tap into the, the wisdom of your user. And then what is the biggest mistake that current SaaS companies are really enacting with their marketing and branding strategies? Uh, I, I think it's it's related to that. If you don't understand your user, if you don't understand your customer and the value that that delivers, and you're not able to articulate that in an ad uh, or, or in a tweet or in a blog post or, or whatever it is that you're bringing to market, you know, you really need to go back and do your homework is what I'd say. What's your must reads when they come in? What's your fave SaaS reading materials for you? So the Bible of SaaS for me, Harry, is just this gorgeous paper um, that was written by Mark Leslie at Stanford called the Enterprise Sales Learning Curve. I'm sure you've heard of it. Any SaaS executive, any SaaS manager or leader, especially in sales and marketing, who hasn't read that really doesn't know what they're talking about. I, I heard about it at SaaS this year. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's been, it's been around forever. And I just reread it uh, last year. And it's amazing how it's timeless. So just Google that. Mark Leslie and the Enterprise Sales Learning Curve. In terms of marketing tools, what are your most used? What are your must-haves? I have to put in a plug for my own product, Domo, which, you know, the reason I, I joined Domo recently as CMO is this whole business of trying to figure out marketing ROI, you know, the impact of digital marketing and other marketing uh, venues on sales is is a devilishly complicated and, and uh, traditional has been a very hard thing to do. And that's really what the, uh, the the mission of Domo is, to take those data silos in your organization, tie them all together uh, in a cloud, we call it our business cloud, and, and understand the flow of clicks to cash and, and visualize that and share that and put it out in mobile in a way that just hasn't been uh, available before. So for me, that's uh, obviously uh, like my most important tool as an executive. But underneath that, you know, we're firm with Adobe Analytics. You know, we've just... Uh, adopted Everstream recently, you know, for, for lookalike campaigns. And quite honestly, Harry, it is it is crazy out there. So the last I looked, there's like 3,500 products just in the MarTech stack alone, dozens of categories of those products. And the, the number of things that you can potentially do to, to benefit your business with those products is mind-boggling. And so finding the presence of mind and the focus in your business to pick the right uh, solutions in your MarTech stack to drive the right uh, results in your business, I think is probably one of the, the hardest and most daunting tasks that marketers face today. Okay, interesting question. Is it a time for consolidation in the industry then with such a proliferation of marketing tools? 
Oh, please, <laughs> please let it happen and, and, and let it happen in a way when the solutions are thrown together, they're not still just all strung apart. Too often it happens in the enterprise space where even if something is uh, acquired, it doesn't mean that it's truly integrated with a mothership product. And honestly, that's where solutions like Domo come to the fore to, to reunify those data views. But but as a user, it, it can be quite frustrating. And then I want to finish today on, on a super interesting one, and it's kind of the integration of marketing sales in today's world with the pre-warmed up leads. Uh, so how do you view the integration of these two traditionally quite segmented teams? Yeah, well, well, listen, this is where technology plays an incredible role in breaking down barriers. For example, our MarTech stack here at Domo, you know, we capture leads in Eloqua and we, uh, call, you know, we score them in Eloqua and then we work very closely with sales to come up with a definition for, uh, an MQL, you know, a marketing qualified lead. That's like our Bible. That's like our shared Bible. Uh, and then we pass that into Salesforce through the, the connect between Eloqua and Salesforce. And it is that connect between these two different cloud systems that allows for collaboration you know, cooperation and, and more importantly, data-driven metrics to be put on the table so that, you know, hey, the, there's no question of what a marketing qualified lead is because not only have we written it down and agreed to it, but it's codified in the Eloqua code that passes the lead into Salesforce. And so, so at that point, the level of alignment you can achieve through that and the level of operational efficiency you can achieve through that is kind of mind-boggling, actually. And do you measure success based on kind of pure quantity of leads or is it revenue generated as an outcome of leads for you? That is the beauty of data, Harry. It's all about the revenue. It's all about the profitability of that revenue and the ability to reverse engineer your funnel from that data and, and the ability to over time track all digital touch points, all offline touch points as well through digital tracking systems and through data platforms like Domo to be able to say, oh, how do I, if I want to achieve this level of revenue, I have this level of productivity in my Salesforce, a close rate of X and a conversion rate of Y up funnel. You, you can actually start modeling your SaaS business through the data and, and actually see that proceed quarter over quarter. And that's just, that's a marketer's dream. It's a CEO's dream. It's uh, anyone who cares about the data's dream. Well, David, I've been such a fan of Domo for, for a couple of years now since I had an investor of yours on, on the show. So thank you so much for joining me today, discussing the journey. And it was absolutely fantastic. Fantastic to hear your personal journey. Great, Harry. Thanks so much. And I'd like to say a huge hand to David for giving up his time today to come on the show and discuss the incredible journey he's had with Domo. And I'd also like to say a huge thanks to Jason Lemkin for making the intro today. Now, do not forget, we'd love to see you at Sasta Annual 2017. And to join me and Jason with many mojitos, simply enter the promo code Drinks with Harry. Those three words, Drinks with Harry, when you purchase your Sasta Annual 2017 tickets. And not only will you get a whopping 20% off the ticket price, but also a happy hour of free drinks paid for by Mr. Jason Lemkin. He is too generous. As always, we so appreciate all the support. You can always email me, harry at the20minutevc.com, and I cannot wait to bring you next week's episodes.